0: You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind. And I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and people about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by the Breathe Culture Pledge, a community of like-minded SMEs who are committed to building and maintaining a people-first culture. Whether you've got your company culture nailed or need a little guidance to improve it, joining the Breathe Culture Pledge gives you the recognition and resources you need to help your culture flourish. Plus, it's 100% free. Join over 700 SMEs and invest in your people today. Head over to breathehr.com forward slash culture pledge to find out more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast, where this season it's all about change makers. Today, I'm joined by Barry McNeil. Barry is a questioner, a challenger of the status quo, a disruptor of conventional thinking, a true change maker, which is no surprise as to why we get on so well and why I had to invite him along to the podcast. Barry works with leadership and functional teams to explore why things happen the way they do, helping to surface the tensions in the underlying assumptions and rules that dominate how teams and organizations work. Barry believes that organizations can deliver outstanding impact and results to society, If only we could unleash the creativity within their people and enable them to thrive at work. Barry is the Managing Director of Work Extraordinary, a boutique organisational design and transformation consultancy, helping leaders design highly adaptive, participative organisations. With over 20 years of consulting experience, working extensively with leaders and organisations in the public and private sector, I know that. Today, Barry is going to be sharing so much of that wisdom and insight from his experience. Alongside Work Extraordinary, he is a certified Semco Style expert and is currently working to champion Semco Style within the UK market, something I can't wait to share more about with you. In this episode, Barry and I talk about what inspired his journey into new ways of working and how you can shift your own company to a more agile way of being. With so much experience in the workplace landscape, I know you're going to get so much from this conversation, so let's get started. Hi Barry, and welcome to Make It Thrive, the Change Maker Sessions.
1: Hi there Lizzie, uh, really great to be with you today, uh, talking about how to make things thrive, brilliant. Yes.
0: Oh, I'm very excited about this season because, um, well, I'm just honoured with all the guests that have come on and have been sharing so much. And I don't like to have a favourite season but I feel like this is going to be one of them if I have to be biased and pick out one of my children this is probably going to be the one.
1: Oh, brilliant, I'd uh, great to be part of one of your kind of favourite seasons, your, your favourite, <laughs> yeah great.
0: <laughs> um, but what I want, want to really kick off with um, because I think what's been beautiful about this season is so many people that I've interviewed and um, the change makers in this collective have kind of come into workplace culture or the the culture realm from such different places. So, would you be happy to kind of share, I suppose, your journey into where you are right now, Barry?
1: Yeah, sure, perfect. And um, I mean, in some respects, I think actually my journey is maybe a little bit more traditional than some of the other guests, actually. But um, I uh, uh, came came into the kind of the world of work. Uh, this, so, the very non-traditional bit was I originally trained as an actor many moons ago in like, a kind of whole previous career. But fairly fairly early on, then did a quite a uh, big career change for me at the time into the kind of world of HR consulting and that space. And so um, from that point of view, I've then worked in in the realm of HR and and. Uh, working with organisations around people, process, and 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 ways of working, and therefore culture and 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 leadership, and all of those factors that have very much uh, been part of the work that I've been doing, and that's been a, a kind of huge huge part of it. So from some in some respect, that's probably a little bit more of a kind of di- traditional way in. What I've found though is that coming from the background I came from. Then into that world of how organisations think about people, you know, I was kind of really kind of quite baffled by the fact that it was so much about. In fact, in many ways, it was so much more about kind of process and compliance and policy than actually being about people. Uh, and so, therefore, when I started getting more involved in working with different organisations and and looking at how um, people and leaders were were trying to get the best out of their people actually a lot of the traditional conventional uh practical ways that uh that hr was traditionally trying to do it actually felt like it was kind of working against what we were trying to to really get to and if you you've um the podcast is talking about making it thrive you know if we think about that aspect of how we really enable people to thrive process and policy is not really going to do that job. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it really kind of sucks out so much of the creativity and the energy that people can bring into the workplace. So, um, yeah, I've, I've kind of, uh, in, over the last 20 years of working in this HR consulting space um, around leadership, organizational development, organizational design... Uh, I've kind of really kind of probably rethought quite significantly some of the things I was doing in the earlier part of that career to kind of go, actually, no, that stuff doesn't work. We really need to think about things really, really differently, uh, and that's really what's brought me into the space of of what of the work I find really exciting uh, around that kind of change maker space uh, and and actually what brought you and I together in terms of how we met,
0: yeah, absolutely, oh my gosh. I mean, I can really relate to what you're saying because I know so many people that are kind of maybe still in that traditional HR space Mm. and they feel really limited by what what they have available to them I suppose in their toolkit yeah and it's and I suppose was there kind of like a catalyst moment for you where you're like this doesn't feel like it's working I feel like everything I'm doing is working against me rather than with me like was there like an experience or a moment where you just like the penny drop where you're like this I need to do something different was there kind of a yeah a a light bulb moment as it were
1: there was indeed so I kind of described this a bit as my road to Damascus moment really and so a, a number of years ago I was working in a global talent management organization and the uh, types of, I mean, the types of projects that we were doing. Um, there was some, re- we were working with some really brilliant clients, some really exciting clients, um, and uh, but I, I think a lot of what what the focus there was very much about kind of optimizing talent management processes, uh, you know, developing high potentials, and and you know, so so a lot of what you would kind of see in that kind of d- traditional talent management space. And um, I was. At that time, I was doing both a kind of client-facing consulting role, but then was also had a internal um, leadership role in the kind of consulting team in the UK, and was asked to take on a global project, uh, which was really exciting. It was a great opportunity for me to expand beyond a kind of UK remit into to thinking about kind of global reach, and I was so I was kind excited about it. And on paper, this looked like a really interesting project. You know, it's really about how do we how do we uh, start to think about our kind of global consulting practice, uh, and and expand how we do that, and kind of really kind of I suppose could kind have of professionalize what we're doing, um, but there was an as- an aspect in here kind of sort of standardizing what was happening, and actually. Uh, there was a couple of other leaders who'd kind of got it set up and were kind of starting to get that rolling and then they brought me in to to lead it and to kind of really expand that out with all the kind of other countries and I was really kind of excited about it and then what very quickly came through to me was that this was actually quite a you know sort of like a wolf in sheep's clothing of a project to be honest because actually what it was about was about centralization standardization and it 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 became really apparent very quickly this was a top-down implementation of how to standardize as ways of working with clients. And so I was having these heartbreaking conversations where I was talking to, uh, you know, consulting teams in other geographies who were doing great pieces of work with their clients. They were being really innovative, very creative. And I was going, that's all really fascinating work. Now we want you to kind of put all that to one side and just here's the kind of standard ways of doing it. And I just like, oh my goodness, this just feels so wrong. Uh I found it was uh yeah, a real kind of point of um I don't know, it was sucking out the joy of what I what I kind of really wanted to be doing and going back to that kind of earlier point around creativity you know it was it was just essentially kind of giving people a whole set of standard templates, toolkits, playbooks and go great there you go and you know I kind of feel um, a a large large proportion of the uh, global consulting world is kind of very much made up on that kind of idea of playbooks and templates and there you go that's it that's all you do and you know come on we're we're dealing with people with and and so actually you know uh, let's kind of really work with the creativity and the ideas that, that people are coming up with so for me that was a real real turning point and has brought me on this sort of journey of exploring what are the different ways of of thinking about how we tap into creativity into the energy of people into and really enabling and um people to be part of that innovation journey.
0: Mm, yeah. It's like we've got obsessed with processes and standardizing. Yeah. I think it's almost like been a trend that I feel like for so many businesses they reach this point where they it's like a rite of passage that they have to do what I call like the McDonald's process where they kind of all of a sudden go, oh, we have to act like a really serious business. And what we need to do is standardize and create processes for absolutely everything. So here's all these handbooks, here's all these very basic procedures and basically don't ever go outside of this scope. It kind of just sucks, like you say, sucks the life out of actual people's ability to be creative and innovative if you're just constantly prescribing them the way to do everything in the organization
1: yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think you know uh, so I work with a lot of um, scale-up organizations so um, founding teams that have kind of got to a kind of certain size so around about kind of 10 15 people and are look are, are growing and expanding and there is absolutely a bit about um, how we how we how we teach and impart knowledge and and, and founders who have been you know this is their baby, right? So they're so passionate about it. They're so immersed in how they do things and their way of doing things. Um, So there is an aspect of of how does that scale, how does that um, get shared, but also how does that get shared and then get collectively owned so that everyone who comes into the organization then has a stake and an ownership in how that evolves and grows. That's a very different thing from... Uh, standardization and templates, and using that to scale, um, and I think we've got this—we've got this real kind of um, strong causal link between uh, to scale and to grow uh, means efficiency, and therefore means standardization, and therefore you know we can't therefore stray out of process, uh, you know, and and I, I was. Um, some work with a client yesterday we were talking about uh you know certain kind of uh process or quality management processes and this idea of kind of non-compliance forms uh you know i think kind of gosh you know all of that type of language and rhetoric and thinking it just it totally takes away from the uh the ability to tap into that creativity and energy
0: yeah oh my gosh absolutely and like you say it does become one of those, it's like it's, it feels like a bit like a hangover that we've got this obsession with standardization for like the industrial mm-hmm. era, this hangover of standardizing everything. And you gave a great example there of you know, these I always find the same with those kind of small startup scaling groups that they're actually a lot more agile, and, and what you're sometimes trying to do as the coach is to make sure they don't default into doing that standardization which they think is like the grown-up way to grow their business like oh efficiency um all of these very boring operational things and actually a lot of the time i'm sure you find this you're trying to kind of navigate them away from doing that and go actually there there is another way guys that you can grow and scale without killing everybody's innovation (laughs) with processes
1: yeah absolutely I, i think um Th- that is the default pattern um you know and you could have talked there about kind of industrial hangover i mean it's it's scientific management 101 taylorism um and that is still the dominant way of thinking about how uh, most uh, organizations need to operate mm-hmm. and therefore you know kind of um engineering tasks and processes into the smallest possible units and then uh you know <clears throat> getting the getting people to kind of work in the most efficient way on their tiny bit of the the pie as opposed to really kind of seeing that seeing that entire end to end um project or piece of work or whatever it is through and you know in in a in a world of where you're talking widgets and manufacturing that actually does make sense in in many respects if if the if the requirement or the output is is a transactional or or kind of more. Um, you know more manufacturable piece of piece of work then that actually does make sense in, in many respects I think it's still pretty um soul destroying however uh, I think it can can ha- do- can have its place in, in certain contexts but actually the majority of work that we do now you know we're, we're talking about um, people who are working to to deliver an experience so to deliver you know whether it's someone coming in to to buy a coffee or to to uh, buy something in a in a shop, or to have a you know transform their organisation. It's about an experience that, that that we need to create, and that is therefore far more complex, far richer. And uh, to to do that and to deliver that and to um to to enable that experience to be felt in the way that we really want it to be felt, we've got to do that in a way that is far more human, uh, and is far more um, yeah, energizing.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, what would you say to it's probably easier for I think smaller businesses and startups to navigate you know those kind of moving away from being so standardized and and leaning into the kind of, I suppose the the general mechanics than it is the bigger organisations that have been doing it for a lot longer. So they have so many more processes to kind of break apart and kind of rewrite. I mean, what do you think kind of challenges businesses the most in trying to to challenge or, or drive the status quo? I mean, I know you mentioned there about sort of Taylorism. It's kind of conditioned into our, mm. our management systems. But what do you think is the challenge there for, for businesses?
1: Mm. So... I. I think the core thing for me probably comes down to risk. Um, And I kind of talk about risk as sort of, you could call it kind of fear of failure in some ways, but I mean, so for a small, small organization, you know, it's risky starting up a business and growing a business. It's it's a you know you are going out on a limb. You're going out on a uh, on a non-conventional path. Actually, in many respects, by doing that, so that is risky. So you're you're going out. You're trying to create something new, or to to potentially disrupt uh, existing players, or to to kind of start to kind of build your own piece of the pie. So there's a inherent risk in that. Um, so then. I think to kind of do that then in a really unconventional way you're just sort of adding to the risk really aren't you you're kind of making uh what is already a risky thing to do much more risky or that that's potentially how it feels And i think if it, you know if it's an existing business that has already got a lot of you know it's got that kind of business as usual it is generating in a particular way um if there's not sufficient change or sufficient pain. Uh, so if the, if it's kind of working at the moment, then, you know, why change it? If there's not sufficient pain, um, then people aren't necessarily going to change. So I, I think it comes down to that, that kind of aspect of risk. And I think for me, you know, so there's that cycle psycho, um, psychological heuristics or bias around loss aversion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're faced with two different kind of possible outcomes, uh, you're gonna you're gonna choose to avoid the loss as opposed to go for the gain, uh, and so that you know that's often applied, I suppose, in kind of, sort of strategy types of environments or product development environments. But if you think about that around what happens if we choose to do something radical with our people, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, like a four day week or shift towards self management or or think about autonomous teams, those types of things, that then. Brings with it a certain degree of potential risk to me as a leader around my social capital, my credibility. Um, it also kind of, you know, so so th- there's that, you know, what happens if we lose our ability to continue delivering on what we're currently delivering on? You know, that's going to have financial implications. Um, how does that compare with the gain for our people? I think I think that kind of that loss aversion plays a huge role from my point of view. Um, You know, if we don't really care about the impact of the old system on our people, then actually it's much easier to maintain that status quo and therefore put our risk somewhere else in terms of maybe developing a new product or something like that. So that kind of personal reputation, I think, as a leader or a founder is really important. And I genuinely believe that we really need to help leaders learn how to lead without ego. So that aspect of loss aversion actually starts to become less important because it's not about my ego or my reputation as a leader. It's actually about getting the most out of what our people can do together.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. That is such a big shift, isn't it? And mm. oh my gosh, I mean, in so many ways, in terms of mindset, in terms of training, there's there's very little really spoken about that and we still see so many leaders in this very parental way of being with their teams and it's that you know as as we know there are other ways to do it and there are much more agile ways of being that can increase that innovation and as we've seen with so many examples that are out there especially in the kind of the self-management arena you know that Innovation and creativity being that, you know, more servant leader almost enables so much more innovation and agility and especially during the time that we've just gone gone through. I mean, unfortunately, we're seeing so many businesses default back to how they were pre-COVID. It kind of is a perfect example right now of where businesses have gone. Oh, actually, this is a great chance for us to take a little risk, do a little bit of a reflection and change. Or those that have just gone. Oh, we'll just default back to how we were two years ago.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's been it's been a real kind of uh, uh, I suppose kind of up and down journey over the last kind of couple of years, hasn't it? It's you know it's been an absolutely tough time for so many people, but um, we could also things things that we've learned from it. I think have been quite phenomenal, really. You know, our ability to adapt. Uh, has absolutely been been proven um i mean i saw some uh, McKin- mckinsey data um uh and, and I, I mean i t- don't often could kind have of quote mckinsey data actually but uh you know this sort of um the transition to work from home that was kind of estimated that it would take kind of a over a year as most organizations expected actually on average i think uh, we did it in, in 11 days but of course that the, the shift just from work to home, of course, wasn't wasn't all of the change we had to do. We've people have been on a huge learning curve, and actually, I think it's it's enabled so much creativity around um, how we how we run meetings, how we collaborate together, how we run development, how we how we operate in very very different ways. And I think technology has been a huge enabler for that. Um, so that kind of real sense of learning from that. But I do agree there is a at the moment there is that kind of that default back to the old way you know it was almost like um uh we've we're, we're trusting our people to work in this way because we have to trust our people are to work in this way because you know that's that's the situation we find ourselves in as soon as we could get back to a point that now we we don't need to do that you know and that's why that you're you're hearing so many so many stories of you know uh, people kind of creating these kind of weird rules about how how people are coming back in and all that type of stuff so um yeah I I think we are seeing some really interesting shifts in terms of that
0: yeah it is and I, I feel like like you say there's been there's been a lot of lessons over these past two years and it's such a precious time I feel for people to really look at what's happened and And what can be learned and and where we can take it and where we can kind of begin to change things. I mean, what's one thing that, you know, you really hope because I mean, like you said, with the data from McKinsey, there was so much data pre COVID saying, oh, it's going to take us so much time to go to flexible working. I mean, I remember having so many conversations with people That couldn't even get the you know legal requirement of flexible working that became you know something that people could request by law and you know people were making up businesses are making up all these ridiculous excuses about oh no firewalls and Mm. insurance and all of these other different random excuses about why flexible working you know even to a part-time mother um, just was not possible Um, and then all of a sudden like you say a pandemic hits and we can you know remote work instantly within a week um so that's one change that you know we've we've seen start to shift. but is there something that you feel is going to be gone completely, or do you feel like there's another shift coming that that you would like to see?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, whilst, whilst we are talking about that, there has been a kind of a shift back in some, in some ways to the kind of the old ways and kind of, you know, people need to be visible in order to be, uh, to be really considered to be contributing and participating. I think that we are seeing that in certain areas, but we're not seeing that everywhere. So, um, Whilst there has been that kind of shift back in, in certain, certain areas, there is now a far larger proportion of organisations and leaders and people who have had that taste of how it can be and are going actually no there's there's we're, we're not going to just everyone bounce back we're going to say actually no let's let's continue to explore what that means and ex- explore how we do that in a different way and so um i think that there's some really interesting uh areas of exploration that all, certain organizations are doing now around this just you know rethinking the entire role of what the office is about and um I don't know. I'm curious to to, to uh, understand your your perspective on this. Actually, around you know the the role of office potentially as a bit of more of a kind of cultural hub or collaborative centre, but not something that is you know rule bound. That for people to feel connected to that cultural hub. They've got to show up at at least three days a week or, you know, one day a month or whatever some of those kind of ridiculous rules are. But, you know, that that opportunity for people to to drop in, to feel connected, but equally to be able to to connect uh, remotely. Um, And, you know, I think certainly one of the biggest things over the last two years that I personally have learned is just about, um, you know, connection being so hugely important. But actually we've been able to connect in far more creative ways or, or far more expansive ways. Uh, you know, I've, I've uh, over the last two years connected into groups in Hong Kong and New Zealand and, you know, all across the world. Uh, even the event we met at, Lizzie, was, was a global a global coming together of um, like-minded people who were able to to therefore, Share ideas and and share new insights in a way that that's really exciting. So actually, the more the organisations can embrace that, um, you know, it totally opens up what we think about around, um, where you know where talent, how how we bring talent and skills and capabilities and new ideas into our organisations, because we're not constrained by, uh, you know certain miles radius to an office or any of those kind of uh older more traditional conventional things that that used to previously bind us
0: yeah it is I always say it's really important to think about a space rather than a place Mm. and it's like what do you need in that space what do what will what would bring people to that space because we've seen that working from home generally is more productive for people because it's less interruption from the day-to-day buzz of of an office or being interrupted by clients or whatnot. So generally speaking, productivity remains quite high when you're working from home. But, I mean, even I sometimes crave just going into a communal space and that's why I love going to a coffee shop now and again, just to get the buzz of being around other people, about being around other human beings. And I think if you can create that that co-space of of what do we need this space to provide for our people what do they need when they come together ultimately and think of it differently like you say rather than something that's very traditional we really need to shift our mindset of, of what is this space going to be for people is it a space where people can come in and have a coffee and a chat and do a you know a bit of a, have a whiteboard room where they can be creative and hash out some ideas together in person you know it's thinking differently and like you say that's something that still needs to be really thought about because we are still getting these businesses that have paid ridiculous leases on office spaces and now insisting that people come back to to a very mundane office and those dreadful commutes that people were kind of slowly shifting away from has become yeah something that people are having to reconsider especially when they were maybe thinking about moving further out of cities or you know the commuter band has expanded as well so gosh there's there's just literally so many things you could go go on on with but I mean in terms of you've obviously made this pathway for yourself Barry in, in your journey and I know some people might be sat there thinking this all sounds really good guys but what can we practically action so have you got any practical things that people can do you know whether they're just a a team manager or hr leader or, or a leader themselves is there anything that you can sort of guide people on to maybe take something away from from this discussion today that they can maybe experiment or play with
1: yeah sure so um absolutely i think there's um you know being uh being able to start to initiate change or to to be disruptive uh, uh, you know, and, uh, being disruptive isn't something for us to shy away from, because actually, um, you know, I, I powerfully believe in the in the f- in the force and the need actually for disruption from within organisations and that kind of little bit of activism from within, in some respects. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what people think about when they think about um, uh, you know, culture and, and organization, and and um, you know, a, a lot of what was done for for uh, many years was that we thinking about kind of recruiting to fit. Uh, you know, so kind of this idea that of of cultures needing to be really com- compliant and everyone to sort of go along with things. I don't think that's right. I think so. We've got to have that little bit of disruptive voice and activism within our organizations. think that we've got to do that a little bit with care actually because i think sometimes it can be quite easy to be labeled as the troublemaker so actually um you know one thing i would um really kind of think about is is uh, how how can we be uh how can we be a bit disruptive or or kind of ask some of those kind of challenging questions but in a way that we're not necessarily kind of really um losing or, or sacrificing all of our social capital and our credible, credibility internally and um, and so things like you know really simple things so uh, listen out for rules and assumptions or you know people talking about this is the way things are here or we you know and kind of you know what would happen if it wasn't or what was ha- what would happen if it d- didn't so, so so gentle questioning is absolutely a great way to to start to kind of open up how can we how can we change some of our thinking and how can we sort of disrupt a little bit about what we're doing? And I think for me, that's very much about doing it in a really open and curious way. Mm-hmm. So, so, so asking the really open questions and being brave about kind of just saying, "I don't get why why that is so important to us here." So, what 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 do we what what makes that so important for us? And what would happen if we did it a different way? So, those types of so that, that's definitely kind of one thing. I also think, um, you know, so if if you're wanting to kind of start to explore a little bit of alternative thinking in your team, for instance, you know, it's really important that we we're creating psychologically safe spaces where people are able to have different viewpoints and 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 uh, bring in some of that kind of different conflict and tension. So actually, let's really embrace that and and potentially every time we've got a team meeting ask a different member of the team to take on the role of being a devil's advocate, uh, for instance. So a, a challenging what we're thinking and actually allowing some of that constructive challenge and constructive debate to go on. That would be really good. And then the third thing I would say here is start with something small. Um, so I was with a um, client yesterday and uh, we've been talking about quite a quite a different way of them structuring and organizing their teams, um, which is actually... A pretty significant change for them um now rather than do the whole scale change uh, what we what we did yesterday so we we spent the day designing what a six-month experiment might look like with one very small tight unit within the kind of broader teams trialing to trialing working in a very different way so we designed out what that experiment would look like what would be the measures that we'll be looking for what difference do we want to see and how we can kind attract of uh, the, the progress off that and then before we define that too far, we then kind of open that up to the whole organization. We say what we're talking about. We, we invite in questions and challenge and contribution and participation. But, you know, kind of starting small is really important because we don't want to suddenly do disruption just for the sake of disruption and then kind of six months later go, oh, well, that didn't work. And, you know, we, we kind of really undermine what our credibility. And for, for me, I think it kind of really goes back to, Uh, let's kind of start to kind of build some momentum around that. Let's build some trust around what we're doing, get people to feel confident with that. They start to trust it. They start to believe it for themselves. They see other people see that that's happening. So they build some social proof and you kind of then kind of start to see that change um, happen generally through the network because people are buying into it and go, we want to be part of that. Um, So yeah, they'd they'd be my kind of three tips really
0: oh thank you so much Barry they were very juicy tips thank
1: you (laughs) I like that juicy tips
0: (laughs) they were they're very like yeah very you know definitely actionable it's what what I always like so I think there's plenty for people to take away there so I'm very very grateful I know that that's definitely going to inspire some people to be taking some action and being disruptive after this well that's my my hope anyway
1: so (laughs) I, I, I love that yeah come on folks let's let's do a bit of disruption yeah
0: just you know bubbling away under <laughs> yeah. the surface you know that'd be nice so I wanted to add a bit of fun to this season as well just to kind of wrap it up so I've got a quick fire round if you're ready for it Barry okay <laughs> right. so when not at work where will we find you
1: ah oh well uh yeah so um that would be probably in the park or garden with uh, my two dogs uh, i've got two lovely uh celian terriers so uh, so yeah uh, out with them
0: cute the one business word you want gone from the dictionary you want removed from our business vocabulary
1: yeah. so uh okay uh, it's not it's not quite one word it's two but uh the phrase reach out it just, uh, it, I, it, I just don't like it and it was definitely used a, a hell of a lot over the last two oh, years
0: god yeah it was also that I think in every marketing campaign every e- I got so many email newsletters during 2020 going let's reach out to each other or yeah
1: like... Ooh, so it just it just jars for me
0: or they're here for you we're here for you like are you really are you really are you really here for me right now
1: (laughs) yeah you're you're just saying that because you need an extra number yeah exactly (laughs)
0: honestly uh one book or podcast recommendation
1: oh right uh so I hate these types of questions because I can never do just one um right so turning point book for me definitely uh Rethinking, uh, reinventing organisations, Frederick Lallou. um But I love Humanocracy, Gary Hamill, Michaela Zanini, Teal Dots in an Orange World, Eric Ostergaard. Sorry, that's three. But there you go. They, um Yeah, I, all of those. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, I must agree. <laughs> I caveat that. <laughs> Definitely yeah. read. And if there's one thing you could disrupt, what would it be?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the way we think about talent management, actually, Mm. you know, um, we, we got, there's a, there's a elitism in the way that, that so much of that is happening, you know, and I think, you know, I, I, I love what, um, what we, we try to do within HR, but unfortunately I think quite a lot of what we've been doing over the last um few years as we've got more and more sophisticated and talent management practices have got more sophisticated kind of papering over the cracks a bit Mm.
0: yeah definitely it actually scares me some of the trends that are coming out Mm. in recruitment and talent management yeah Um, yeah
1: so uh, uh, yeah yeah, we've got to really think about that in a far more inclusive way
0: yeah yeah definitely good one good thought good thought to mm. leave us with well Barry is there anything you would like to share with our audience before we say our goodbyes is there anything we can um know more about that you're working on obviously we'll we'll, we'll include all of your um details in the show notes so that people can get in touch with you but is there anything that you'd like to to update us on before yeah we sure uh
1: yeah so I mean I would um love for people to connect with me um I think uh My LinkedIn details and Twitter are um, in the show notes, but um, yeah, it'd be great for people to connect with me. And if you want to kind of chat through any of of what we've been talking through, uh, the work we do at Work Extraordinary is uh, kind of really, uh, really um, uh, exciting and and kind of love to kind of do that kind of stuff. I'm also working on a new project, which I'm really excited about. So uh, last year, i qualified as a semco style expert um so if anyone doesn't know about semco style do check out ricardo semler and uh semco style institute Uh, and that's part that's an international organization but i'm really excited so i'm currently working on a new venture with a, a business partner mark green he and i are currently working on bringing semco style to the uk so um Watch this space. We're super excited about that because that's really going to be helping to work with um, other cons- independent consultants and change agents about really kind of helping to, to give a broader toolkit of of uh, different practices and ways of thinking that people can start to take into their organization. So, yeah, if, if anyone wants to kind of find out a bit more information about that, then drop me a note on LinkedIn and I'd be uh, really happy to to have a conversation with them
0: amazing oh I am buzzing for that so much (laughs) amazing thank you so much Barry for your time thank you
1: thank you Lizzie take care bye you've been
0: listening to make it thrive the company culture podcast with me your host Lizzie Benton if you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture don't forget to subscribe thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week